This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is John Lynch, 49ers GM and Pro Football Hall of Famer, and you're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest 4-2. Welcome to the Daylight Savings Time edition of the Eye Test for Two. Yes, I said Daylight Savings Time. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are both Hall of Fame voters, joined by Hall of Fame producer Ian Glendon, and soon, very soon, by Hall of Fame voter John, the Professor Clayton, all the way from Seattle. But I mentioned Daylight Savings, and Ira, we're going to lose an hour this Sunday, March 14th. So you have to turn your clocks ahead to spring forward. Um, what are you going to do with that hour that you're going to lose, Ira? I'm not worried about the, the time I'm going to lose. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to enjoy more daylight at the end of the day, Clark, oh, no. because okay. now instead of 6.30, maybe it gets dark at 7.30, I might be able to get a couple of more holes in my golf game in <laughs> over there, uh, <laughs> Clark. And if you've seen my golf, I have the best foot wedge you've ever seen, Mr. Judge. So you're like those old Packer teams. You're running to daylight, right? <laughs> so Ian, and I'm talking about Ian Glendon, uh, we're going to lose an hour. What are you going to miss with that hour that you lose? Look, I, I'm with Ira here. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the extra hour uh, at the end of the day, and perhaps maybe I'll actually fine-tune my golf game or, or start it. We'll, we'll see. I'm not quite as experienced as Ira, but uh, you know, maybe I'll use that extra hour of daylight to do that. Well, you guys are thinking golf. I'm not a golfer. I'm going to talk football for a second because that's going to give me one less hour, Ira, to think about that insane overtime proposal the Baltimore Ravens are going to put forward to NFL owners this month. And I don't know if you saw it or not. Did you see it? I did see it, Clark. I did. Yeah, I'm I talking did. about the, that spot and choose proposal. Um, apparently one team would choose where to select the ball and the other to play offense or defense. I don't know, Ira. That, that doesn't sound real workable to me. You know, they've been dealing with this overtime issue, Clark, for as long as we've been alive almost. Um, and I'm for anything that takes the uh, coin toss uh, out of the equation. Oh, that, whoa. That's all I care about. Wow. Uh, I, I don't like the coin toss, Clark. I just don't like it. Uh, I would rather have it something like um, whatever team has more yards at that point or, or something like that. Uh, whoever's been the better team, maybe, you know, even though the score is tied, some kind of metric. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just don't like the coin toss clock. It's too arbitrary. Okay, then. Well, then there's a second one, too, uh, with the winner. I think this was also submitted by Baltimore, the team that scores the most points 
within seven and a half minutes. And apparently New England's Bill Belichick, who is Ian Glendon's avatar, uh, he's supportive <laughs> of that. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just would rather they leave things alone. I'll be honest with you. I like the overtime situation the way it is. Um, OK, uh, when we wrapped up last week, Ira, as you remember, I hope you remember, uh, you asked, what's going on in Seattle? You know, we wonder what's going on in Seattle, because apparently quarterback Russell Wilson is unhappy or reportedly unhappy there with a number of trade scenarios pitched. Uh, I saw something recently about the Bears, but um, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what's going on, but I do know someone who does. And that's Hall of Fame voter and now Washington Post columnist, John Clayton, who joins us now from his home in Seattle. And John, always great to hear from you. Um, first question, what is going on with Russell Wilson? And what is the likelihood of Russell Wilson getting moved? It's probably the most overdone story I've ever been involved. He's not going to get traded. And the reason he's not going to get traded is that his contract, which was a $65 million signing bonus, is in its third year. Okay, so you have to take a $39 million cap hit if he's traded. So here's a 12-win team that won the NFC West. And no team since 2013, it's been 13 of these teams, has made the playoffs with more than 20% of the cap is tied up in dead money. And this would just be for one player. So he's not going to get traded because what happens is he's got a $32 million cap number right now, uh, 39 if you end up trading him. So they have to get $7 more million out of their cap, which means they have to get rid of more players. And with that in mind, they go from a 12-win team to basically back to where they were in 2010 with their rebuilding. Sure, they'll get draft choices and stuff like that, but – What's going on is that uh, Russell is frustrated by getting hit so much. And basically it comes down second half. But in the beginning of the year, it was let Russ cook because Russ wanted the ball hands earlier, get more tempo, the ball on first down, which he was actually doing well against bad defense at the beginning of the season. And then teams went cover two, cover four, and uh, they just didn't have any answers to get the ball downfield. And so he ends up getting sacked more, hit more, and that frustrated him. But, uh, you know, he's raised his complaints. He was involved in the hiring of a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. And Shane Waldron from, comes from the Rams 49ers. You know, they get rid of the ball quicker. They run the ball a little bit more. And so he was involved in that. So basically, they gave him the tools to answer some of the problems. But yet he was so frustrated sitting next to Roger Goodell at the Super Bowl, uh, watching what Patrick Mahomes had happened to him the same way it happened to him in the Rams game in the uh, playoffs. Yeah, I can appreciate that. If I were sitting next to Roger Goodell at the Super Bowl, I might be frustrated myself, but for different reasons. So, John, you make a lot of sense, and that's why we call you the professor. You make a lot of sense. My question is, why does the story still have legs? I mean, what you, make, what you say makes complete sense. Why does the story continue? Well, because of his agent, Mark Rogers. Mark Rogers is a baseball agent. And basically, when Russell's father passed away, you know, because uh, Mark was involved in you know, his moving to Wisconsin and getting baseball and you know, being, uh, you know, get drafted in baseball and all those different things, you know, he, he became almost a father figure. All right. So he listens to everything that Mark Rogers says. But the problem is, Mark Rogers has only one NFL client, Russell Wilson. And so technically, he's not allowed to talk to any other team because of be violating the contract. It's not like Tom Condon, who represents everybody on every team. So he can't do this. And so the only thing he can do is get leak things through the media. Now, uh, he has uh, his uh, Russell's, I guess you say, publicist 
uh, is one that's tied into several radio people and all that stuff. And so they're always leaking things. But here's to show you how little he knows about the National Football League. Okay, so he puts out, well, Russell hasn't asked for a trade, but if he wants to be, if he does ask for a trade, he would consider going to these four teams. He mentions New Orleans. Well, New Orleans is going to totally purge their roster. They've already cut four players. They have no cap room because they're $50 million over the cap. Right. So that's not an option. They can't take on his $19 million salary. Then he mentions, oh, the Raiders. Well, the Raiders were in the process. They traded Trenton Brown. They're cutting uh, Richie Incognito and uh, you know Gabe Jackson. So it's like, oh, so you're worried about your offensive line, and you want to go to a line that's losing three starters on the offensive line. Good move. Brings up uh, Dallas. Well, Dallas, as you know, re-signed Dak Prescott. Option gone. And then finally, Chicago. Well, Chicago, uh, if they franchise Allen Robinson, that means that they're going to be over the cap. They're not going to take – they're going to let their right tackle go, uh, Robert Massey, and they may have to let their left tackle go in Charles Leno. Is that the line you want to go to? So, And they have no running game. So it's like in the end, I mean, he showed how little knowledge he has by bringing up these things, but he's going to continue to do it just to continue to stir the pot. John, uh, thanks so much for doing this, John. Um, John, I'm going to ask you, uh, you're, you're a, a very respected member of this committee, the Hall of Fame committee. Um, there's a guy, John, that his name never comes up, but you're very familiar with them with the Seahawks. And John, we do our research on this show. Over a five-year span, John, five years, this guy averaged 1,500 yards rushing and 17 rushing touchdowns 1517 that guy sean alexander john he never comes up he didn't have a long career john so do you you give your credit his production to walter jones and hutchinson on the left side of that great line or what's going on with sean alexander's candidacy well, I think what ends up happening, if you go back and even look at the comments that Mike Holmgren, his coach, said, is that he was always a slow starter at the beginning of his career. Certainly he came on for the one big season, and that did well, but not to a point where it put him into the Hall of Fame category. Because, again, you look at him as a very good back, and he did play behind a very good offensive line that, as you mentioned, had two Hall of Famers there. But in the end, it's like, uh, you know, he was very good. But, again, it took him to his, like, by 20 six years old to really start getting his career going. Cause again, he had a slow start early in his career and he was criticized for that. So I just don't think there was enough there to be able to do it. It's not like Terrell Davis who ended up having the 6,400 yards in four years, but look, it took 13 years for him to get into the hall of fame, but no, I mean, he's got the yard, but not necessarily the credentials to get into the hall of fame. The one thing, uh, the one thing I always liked about Alexander John was he, he had a nose for the end zone. He, he did. He knew how to he knew how to score touchdowns. Um, John, you, you had more than two decades at ESPN. You were very prominent. Uh, you were a fixture on the NFL beat. Um, talk a little bit, John, about um, ESPN's growth during those twenty three years and how important the NFL was uh, to. Uh, to the prominent role that ESPN uh, uh, emerged with? Oh, again, it's, for 22 years, it was just uh, a joy to be able to be associated with ESPN and work for ESPN and have you know, all the different things. And I still remember, you know, I because uh, one of the things, as you know, it's like I'm an info guy, right? 
And so it's like, what do I concentrate on? Injuries, I concentrate on free agent signings, the salary cap, and then trends. And so I remember one year where I got a call from the fantasy football people in, in Vegas, the main group, and they wanted me to be the keynote speaker for fantasy football. And I'm saying, well, I'm not a fantasy guy. Uh, what are you talking about? It's like, uh, well, it's like you have the highest Q rating in fantasy because that's what you do. You talk about trends. You talk about uh, stats. You talk about injuries. And you talk about contracts and transactions and moves. And so it's like, and unfortunately, I would have done it, but I had, I had to be at the Hall of Fame uh, that week, uh, that weekend for some, uh, you know, to do, do something there with us and the fall riders. So in the end, it was flattering, but also it changed what I did at ESPN because then, like I had inside the huddle, the, note, uh, the notebook, TV notebook, and I was always thinking about that. And so I always put some kind of a statistical thing or prediction that would go to fantasy people. And that seemed to work out, but it was just great to go through the 22 years, you know, be able to do all the things, watch how ESPN grew, how the ratings continued to go well. It was just a fantastic experience. We're speaking with Hall of Fame voter John Clayton on the eye test for two. And true story, Ira, this is what I know about John and personnel moves. Before he was all over free agency, he was Mr. Plan B. And some of our listeners may remember Plan B, the uh, late 1990s. But uh, I'm on the sidelines with John and several others, many others. 1998 divisional, uh, no, it was a, a wild card round playoff game in San Francisco, Candlestick. And it's the Packers and the 49ers. And it's the Terrell Owens game where he catches the ball with three seconds left. And Steve uh, Young, we all know about that. So. The 49ers have the ball coming down the field and, and we're trying to chart those and somebody taps me on the shoulder and it's John. And I look over my shoulder and I said, hey, hey, John, what's going on? Wait, wait, hey, wait a second. Oh, did Rice catch that? No, he didn't. Okay. What, what's going on, John? John goes, Clark, who are the 49ers going to protect in plan B? I went, <laughs> what? What? I, I, I'm trying to watch the last 40 seconds of this game. I don't know. But John was so tuned into that he was all over plan b and and now he's all over free agency and john because of that i i do want to ask you about the quarterback movement in the league in general we talked about specifically in seattle but there's quarterback movement all over the place you see where carson wentz is gone alex smith has been released there have been rumors about uh deshaun watson in houston i guess my question is to you first of all with houston what happens there? Do you buy that the Texans aren't going to budge on Houston or that they are going to move on? And if they do, what happens if they do? I mean, can they survive without Deshaun Watson? So what's your take, your just general take on your Cliff Notes version of what's going on? Yeah, I just get the feeling that uh, if you're Nick Casario, it's hard to make a trade before the draft because here's what's going to happen. I mean, their team is such a mess, right? Right, right. Their roster is a mess thanks to Bill O'Brien's trade. They got all these different problems. Okay, so now if you honor Deshaun Watson's trade early, you're going to have everybody on that team that's a veteran making money wanting to get out. So you open the door for a lot of people coming in to the office and saying, I'm here. And so it's like, it'll take you even longer to rebuild this team because they have to go into a rebuild with this team. Now, if you're Deshaun Watson, I got $27 million. My base salary is $35 million next year. All right. So I can hold out 
make the first half of the season to make my point. But if you're Nick Casario, you almost have to go through the exercise of having him do that. And then if you need to make a trade, you make the trade sometime right before the end of the trade deadline. So question, do you see Deshaun Watson finishing this season with the Houston Texans? Teams that can wait are Denver and Carolina. Now, again, Carolina's already angered Teddy Bridgewater by including him in the Matthew Stafford trade offer. So that didn't go over very well. And you can see that David Tepper, the new owner of the team, is probably you know, getting involved a little bit too much. But he just watched uh, Tom Brady come into the division and go to the Super Bowl and win. And Pittsburgh, you know, he knows the value of a quarterback having been around Ben Roethlisberger. He would pay the most. But the question is, if he gets a quarterback before uh, Watson could become available, that takes them out of the mix. Where Denver's in the mix is that they'll have Drew Locke and then somebody to compete against him, but they can still wait and get involved. But other than that, I mean, you know, Sam Darnold will go to another team sometime in April, so they'll be out of the mix, whether it's going to be Chicago or the Washington football team. And then Chicago, if they can't get uh, Darnold, can do something. You know that New England's going to be in the mix to try to do something, and maybe they get Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll see. But uh, I have to think right now, Watson won't finish the season as a Texan, but I think he'll start the season as a Texan and not be there. John, you were in the right place at the right time, early 70s. You went to you went to Duquesne, John, and then you're sitting in the heart of Steeler Nation and you're watching the uh, Steelers emerge as the team of the 70s. Uh, John, in terms of uh, Canton, um, I believe there's five players off the steel curtain that have busts. But I'm going to ask you about a sixth. L.C. Greenwood, John, you're in a perfect spot to, uh, to offer your uh, – Point of view on Elsie Greenwood, uh, and, and and John, don't you cringe when people say, well, "What are we going to do? Put another Steeler in the hall?" I do cringe because it's like the same thing. If you cover the Green Bay Packers and you say there's too many Packers in there, there's like what ten Steelers right now from that uh, team, the players that are in the Hall of Fame. You had actually five in one draft, you know, four in 1974, and then Donnie Shell made it as an undrafted player. But the, I mean, Elsie uh, Greenwood does deserve to get in there. He was one of the great sack guys in the league. He was a guy that uh, was well-respected. I still remember the Super Bowl game against Minnesota where he just constantly kept on batting down uh, Fran Tarkington passes because I was at that game. It was a two-lane stadium, and it was their first Super Bowl win. Now, he's in the uh, senior room, and I'm not in the senior room, so Clark can answer this maybe better than I can. I know he's near the top as far as consideration. He just can't get over the top. And, John, you've been on the panel for such a long time as a selector. Uh, and Clark likes to ask this question, so I'm going to usurp Clark Judge here, and I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you, John, um, if you were uh, on the uh, board of trustees at the Hall and you had some influence uh, over uh, rules and regulations, um, what, what would you change uh, about the Hall of Fame process, John? I wouldn't change much. I mean, the big thing is, you know the changes that I've been pushing for, and thank heaven for the board and Dave Baker to be able to do it because you know, sitting next to Will McDonough as often as I did through the years, he kept on stressing the importance of getting a contributor category and a coaching category because, again, when you have a non-player going against a player, the player, for the most part, is always going to win, and so coaches don't get in, teams don't get in, owners don't get in, so that's, that's the, that was a problem. Fortunately, we were able to get the contributor category and then get that renewed. 
We got four years with the coaching category. I hope that we're able to get that extended. And because, again, it's so important because there's so many good coaches that aren't getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I, I wouldn't change much else. I mean, we've got 48 voters. I, mean, I like the whole process. Uh, so other than what, they've, what they have changed, I, I keep it as it is. We're speaking with John Clayton, Hall of Fame voter on the eye test for two. And John, since you mentioned that, you and I both are members of the contributor committee. Who would you suggest is the next contributor candidate? Hmm. You know, at some point, Paul Allen needs to be there. You know, he won't be in the next mix, I think, but I think he's going to start to rise up because he saved the franchise in Seattle, establishes one of the best in football had the great legacy of where it is right now, eight playoff teams in 10 years, hiring a Pete Carroll and all those different things. Yeah, Art McNally would be my choice. He'd be the next guy up. And then you, you mentioned the coaches category. We don't vote on that in terms of a subcommittee. The, the senior committee does. Asked you earlier about the quarterback situation. Just in terms of general free agency, uh, quarterbacks included, who are some of the top free agent names you expect to be on the market um, come later this month. Who are the free agents you think are going to be out there that people whose names people would recognize? Well, I would have to think that uh, they have to do something in the Raiders, you know, uh, because, you know, Marcus Mariota is making $8.8 million on a contract to on for two years and over $10 million this year, but he got so many incentives in his contract. He's going to be hard to be traded, but I think he gets cut. He got Jameis Winston, uh, who is right now the leading candidate to go to New Orleans, I would not be surprised if Chicago or Washington jump in there because you're talking about a talented quarterback who threw for over 5,000 yards. And I know he's a 30 for 30 guy with 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. And then you start to look, we already know that Alex Smith is going to be out there. I mean, I don't know if he goes to Denver, Chicago. He's got a history with Matt Nagy, but he'll be competing for a starting job. Jacksonville is a natural spot for him. So I could see him being in the mix there. And then I was hearing that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to retire, but it looks like he's still wanting to play. So I can see him being in the mix. But again, I think you know, the big name right now, and nothing's going to happen until April, is going to be Sam Darnold. Right. Like the quarterbacks up top. And there may be four taken in the top eight. If they want to take one at two, you can take one at two. And that probably is going to be Zach Wilson. But if not, then what they can do is come back and, uh, look at maybe uh, trading down a couple spots and getting Justin Fields or whoever. But if they take a quarterback, then they'll trade a quarterback, and then Darnold could go to one of maybe three or four spots. Well, your, your former colleague at ESPN, Adam Schefter, has the over-under on new quarterbacks as opening day starters at 18. You taking the over <laughs> or the under? I take the under. There's not going to be a lot of change in the AFC because the AFC has so many young, young talented quarterbacks in their rookie contracts, but 18 would seem to me to be too much. I mean, because again, you have a lot, you have more change in the NFC because they started the season last year with 12 quarterbacks making $21 million or more. And so you already see Drew Brees looking like he's going to retire. He's already changed his contract. You already got Carson Wentz being traded. You've got Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff being traded. Teddy Bridgewater, I question whether he's going to be still there in Carolina. So I can't envision the number getting to 18. I think that's way above what the number is actually going to be. John, I got one more for you. Thanks so much for your time, Mr. Clayton. I know you're a busy man. Uh, I believe now you're weighing in on the Broncos every week. 
John. So uh, you got it all going. Um, <laughs> John, would you be disappointed if the Hall of Fame class of 2022 does not uh, include guys like Baselli, Leroy Butler, Zach Thomas, Richard Seymour? In other words, John, what you and I have talked about in terms of a cleanup year. Yeah, I think it should be a cleanup year, but I think it starts with Baselli. Because even though Baselli didn't have the long career because of injury, he's so deserving for how good he was, even though it was a short period of time. Then I think Seymour is probably the next consideration. It's still debatable on Butler, but at some point, because again, we have had a pretty good run of safeties after not taking right. any safeties at all. We'll see where Malcolm goes. But in the end, I, I lead off with Baselli. I think he's the one of that group of cleanup guys that needs more cleanup. Zach Thomas still debatable. Uh, I know that he had a good push this year, and that may help him for the future years. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, John. John Clayton, thanks you so much for your time. And you know what, John? Rock on, because I can't help thinking of you <laughs> without that ESPN promo coming to my mind. You and that Slayer t-shirt, the Roger Plant do, and headbanging music. That was a classic. And Ira, that was Hall of Fame worthy. That's a first ballot commercial right there, baby. <laughs> that is. That is. <laughs> <laughs> and as you say, John, in that commercial, hey, Ma, I've done all my segments. You know what, John? <laughs> We've done all those segments today, too. Those were the days. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. You got Thanks. it. That was Hall of Fame voter and former Slayer fan, John Clayton. Ira, you got any final thoughts? Sounds like John was fighting a cold there. You know, John's been off ESPN for a few years, uh, Clark, but you know this better than anybody. Um, for so many years, he was the go-to guy for information. And Absolutely. Clark, you and I are in the information business, and very few have done it better than John Clayton. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he was Adam Schefter before Adam Schefter. He was doing all that stuff. So if you wanted stuff first and foremost, you, you went to John Clayton. That's why we went for him today. Anyway, that's going to do it. And can you tell our listeners where to find us? At okay. the eye test for two, all letters, no numbers. And as we always say here, if we don't hear from you there, you'll hear from us here tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow on the eye test for two. Now, who are we going to have, Ira? Mystery guest. We got a special guest who's now a very uh, influential businessman uh, on the golf course. So, whoa, whoa. you know, uh, who is he, he was... Um, I believe he was the NFL Player of the Year. Um, okay, that's and, a good hint. Um, that's a good. He's hint. been around. He's been around, uh, but um, you know what? He's going to be a heck of a guest for us, Clark. Yeah, I'm wondering who that is. Um, oh, you know what? Yes, you're going to have to tune in to find out. So we'll see you here tomorrow on the Eye Test for Two. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>